Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie, Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Reeling from her parents' divorce, Caitlin steals a valuable bird to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner, leading to a new outlook on life. Little Wing, now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Rated PG 13. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Hello and welcome to a blockbuster episode of the movie podcast. My name is Daniel. I'll be one of your hosts today. Alongside me, as always, is Shabazz. Hello, Shabazz. Buonasera. Okay. <laughs> I thought, are, are, are we not doing international blockbusters? Is that why? Yes, you're right. And uh, of course, that's the perfect segue to introduce <laughs> Anthony. Anthony, how you doing? Hola. Oh, we're a bilingual podcast today. That's my uh, international blockbuster high. I love it. If you didn't already guess, today on the movie podcast, we are going to be talking all about summer blockbuster movies. But until then, you can catch a brand new episode of the movie podcast every single Monday across all your favorite podcast services. If you want to write in and be part of the show and give us your comments, suggestions, corrections, head over to thistimewith.com. Also, don't forget to leave us a review and five stars if you like what you're hearing on Apple Podcasts. Just like Fortunate to Have Christ did and said, solid movie podcast. Love these guys. Great chemistry between the crew and thoughtful perspectives. Thank you very much, Fortunate to Have Christ. We are fortunate to have you as a listener. <laughs> yes, uh, thank you for that. That's, that's an awesome. Like, I'm glad that they can hear our chemistry because we've worked on it a lot. We worked on a lot of different, uh, you know, potions and whatnot to get to the right chemistry that we're at right now. It's very true. Uh, gentlemen, uh, how are you guys doing this week so far? I'm doing well. I am doing as good as I can be. Okay. That's, yeah. that's, we'll, we'll keep that as a hopeful. We'll stay hopeful. And how about you, Shay? Uh, you know what? I'm doing very good, Daniel. Thank you for asking. Okay. Uh, I've got a three-hour <laughs> lecture that I want to give you about how good I'm doing. Let me start I, off by well, saying, <laughs> no, I'm doing great. Thank well, you for asking. That's good. I'm glad. I'm glad to hear that. Uh, also, thank you to everyone who wrote in this week and told us their favorite summer blockbuster movie. Uh, we're going to be getting to that later in the show when we get to our topic of the show. Uh, before we dive into the news, we do have some announcements. I want to get through those, and then we'll uh, we'll get the rest of the show rolling for you. So some announcements this week. You already know we got some amazing commentaries available on the movie podcast feed. Game Night, Sicario, Spider-Man with Tobey Maguire. Those are all available across uh, the movie podcast feed, wherever you are listening to us. We hopefully will be doing some more commentaries down the road. So if you have a suggestion, you know where to go. 
Um, also, we have some great episodes that we would love for you guys to check out. I think these are some timeless episodes. Um, obviously, and most importantly, our Black Lives Matter ap- episode with our good friend Asha. Um, definitely listen to that. That is required listening. So uh, the conversation is not stopping, as we always say. Give that a listen. Get yourself educated. Uh, we also have a great episode diving into the Snyder Cut, what that's going to look like, what we think it's going to be. And we have an awesome interview with Kevin Lima, who is a director of a goofy movie, Tarzan Enchanted, and so many other movies that are part of your childhood. So you'll want to listen to that. Um, our final announcement of the week, again, I hope you already know this. We're going to keep telling you about it, though. We have our Last of Us Part 2 spoiler cast available to listen to. We have some amazing guests. We have Nate from Geek Centric, and we have our friend Matt from Untitled Movie Podcast. Well, Nate's our friend, too, but I'm just... Don't worry about that. Uh, we have a great group of people rounding out our um, our panel for The Last of Us Part 2 spoiler cast, so definitely give that a listen. It's probably one of my favorite episodes that we've recorded for the show, so um, make sure you listen to that. Anything that you gentlemen need to get off your chest before we move on to the news this week? Oh, boy. I don't think the podcast is ready for that. Yeah, man. I don't our think, listeners uh, can handle it. Yeah, oh, boy. I might go to okay. jail. <laughs> What? Oh no! Man, I hope God. not, man. We haven't right. seen Anthony. We haven't seen Anthony in a long time, so anything that he says could be true. It's true. Yeah, you know, in four months <laughs> things can happen. You know, it's true. Oh, a lot could happen in four months. Um, before we dive into uh, our news jingle and all that, I did want to address some um, sad news that happened last week on Monday. Uh, Ennio Morcone, who is the prolific Italian composer, he did pass away at the age of ninety-one. And uh, we're going to be reading the story from Mike Barnes and Dwayne Burge of The Hollywood Reporter. Ennio Morcone, the Oscar winner who's haunting inventive scores that expertly uh, accentuated the simmering dialogue-free tension of spaghetti westerns directed by Sergio Leone, um, has died. He was 91. The Italian composer who scored more than 500 films, seven for his countrymen, Leone, after they had met as kids in elementary school, died last Monday in Rome following complications from a fall last week in which he broke his femur. A native of lifelo- uh, native and lifelong resident of the Eternal City, whose first instrument was the trumpet, Mercone won his Oscar, won his first Oscar for his work on Quentin Tarantino's The Hateful Eight in 2015, and was also nominated for his original scores for Days of Heaven, The Mission, The Untouchables, Bugsy, and Melina, known as the Maestro. He also received an honorary honorary Oscar in 2007, presented by Clint Eastwood, for his magnificent and multifaceted contributions to the art of film music. And he collected 11 David uh, D. Donatello Awards, Italy's highest film honors. Um, obviously, this uh, uh, Morcone is a titan of industry, and um, we will he will be missed in this world for sure. Yeah, definitely. He's um, he. I, the first time I ever heard a, um, a composition, we'll say a composed um, movie by Ennio was uh, The Untouchables in that awesome, authentic, you know, drum beat. And it just built that movie for the impact that it had on, on like that year. So, um, yeah, man, it's pretty. It, I'm glad that Ennio was able to win an oscar before he passed i know he won a um uh what, what do they call it a 
an Oscar that is given to you for achievements. The honorary one, right? In the honor, in the yeah. honorary one, and then he was able to actually win one for his uh, his work, which I'm really happy he was able to do that before he passed. But um, yeah, man, uh, it is a, a sucky feeling to lose someone like this. But um, sure. he's had a great life, and oh, rest in peace, man. Yeah, I mean, his music is is synonymous with those westerns, and at the end of the day, like. I'm I'm also really glad that this isn't another statistic for COVID, for example, especially in Italy where sure. you know COVID really hit hard. So this is um, you know he lived a, he lived a very long ni- life, 91 years old, and it's unfortunate that you know it was a fall, but at least it was in some ways very natural. So you know he'll be missed, but his work will live on way longer than anyone can expect. Definitely. You know, the le- the legacy he's leaving behind is untouchable to say the least. And, you know, the, just like you, you like you, even if you don't know his, recognize his name, you'll know his music. Just look up the ecstasy of golds on YouTube or in music and like you, whatever music streaming service you're listening to, you'll recognize that score. You'll recognize all of his scores um, just because they are so iconic and um, the maestro will be missed for sure. Uh, let's head over. And out of respect for the Maestro this week, we won't do the jingle, uh, but let's head over to the news this week. So, Mission Impossible 7, The Batman, and four other blockbuster shoots to resume in the UK. This is coming from Jeremy Fuster of The Rap, or Fuster. I'm going to say Fuster. Uh, production on, the Mich- on Mission Impossible 7 and The Batman will be among several Hollywood blockbusters to resume filming in the United Kingdom following an exemption of quarantine rules, Culture Secretary Oliver Dowden said on Sunday. During the weekend uh, press conference, Dowden said he uh, personally spoke with Tom Cruise about the exemption. Shooting in England for the latest in the franchise was suspended when COVID-19 pandemic forced production to shut down. However, the exemption comes with conditions. The productions that are restarting will only be filming in England and crew members will be be restricted to a bubble environment where they will live in close proximity to the production area and will not be able to leave the surrounding community. Downen says that the uh, the exemptions are being granted in an effort to revive the British film industry in a safe manner. Uh, officials estimate that the film and TV shoots the UK generated over 3 billion euros in 2019. Uh, Shay, what do you think about these movies resuming filming? And what do you think about them being granted exemptions to the quarantine rules? Uh, I think any country right now is probably nervous as hell to have Americans visiting it, it at the moment. The, you know, I mean, it's, it's tough. Like you don't want the most infected country to to kind of come over and start working i'm assuming they're going to have very very strict rules and the the way that people will be coming through will be also very strict in terms of the movies that are going to start i'm all for it i mean we we need we've already had such a rough year by having movies pushed back that you know we really wanted to see movies that are already done so to see next year the year after that movies that haven't even started to be filmed or made yet is uh is a tough pill to swallow. Granted, I obviously I'm going in with the mindset of hoping that people follow proper precautions. And as the world is slowly starting to open up, maybe we can be careful in how we, we take over from this. Yeah, that's, that's so true. You know, it's a big industry. Um, just a correction. Yeah. I said, um, 
euros, it's pounds, 3 billion pounds in 2019. But obviously, the UK is somewhere where a lot of productions are going to. Uh, these are massive blockbuster films. Um, so obviously, they want to get their their economy going. Um, but you also want to make sure you're doing it in the safest way possible. Um, Anthony, what do you think about this? Uh, yeah, like this is, as long as they're not wearing masks in the movie, that's... Uh so the cgi them out cgi the the masks out but yeah no as long as it's safe and you know i i i can only imagine what tom cruise was uh saying to mr dowden he probably was i'm tom cruise i don't get covid let's go film (laughs) i outrun covid i outrun tom that's not how it works but yeah no as long as it's safe and you know it's everyone is on board and we create this bubble and we can get these movies, you know, up and running again. It'll help everyone's economy, especially Europe, um, where a lot of these, you know, movies are being made at the moment. Um, yeah, just um, hopefully we can get something out and about in the next couple of years. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Eh? <laughs> it's funny. I'm going back to uh, some of our older episodes and I believe it was episode... Um, my gosh, I think episode 46, and this is episode 67 of the movie podcast that, um, we were talking about, you know, mission impossible is halting. Yeah. Oh, sorry. This is uh, episode 47. So literally 20 episodes ago, we spoke about how mission impossible is halting filming. And now it's nice to see, you know, 20 weeks later, they're able to come back. Um, cause obviously we want to see this movie, but again, we want to make sure that it's being done in the safest way possible, not just for the talent, but for the crew and everybody who's part of that. So, um, we hope everyone's staying safe there and we are looking to for, we're looking forward to see what the creations are going to be next year. Uh, next up on the news this week, a bit of a interesting one, Jude Law to play Captain Hook in Disney's live action, Peter Pan and Wendy. This is coming from, of course, Boris Kitt and Aaron Couch of The Hollywood Reporter. It will be a pirate's life for Jude Law. The actor is in talks to play the villainous Captain Hook in Disney's live-action retelling of Peter Pan, based on Disney's 1953 animated movie. David Lowry, who directed Pete's Dragon for the studio, is on board to helm Peter Pan and Wendy, and co-wrote the script with Toby Hallbrooks. Um, Interesting to see that we're getting another version of kind of Peter Pan in live-action. Obviously, we had Robin Williams and hook back in the 90s and i feel like we've had like hugh jackman play captain hook and we had jason isaacs play captain hook and we just had that wendy movie come out last year and we've had finding never like we've had so many kind of live action iterations of peter pan and i know shay you're a big fan of peter pan the animated movie so i want to hear your thoughts first yeah huge fan of peter pan the animated film uh i don't care much for any of the live action films minus hook hook is a good movie i really like it you know steven spielberg and obviously you have robin williams dustin hoffman so it's it's a great cast but i have a big connection with the the animated film so to see this one pretty much be a live action retelling i guess like, is it like a sequel or is it a, a complete remake of the of that first one? I'm 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 down for it. I enjoyed Pete's Dragon. I thought it was it was a good um, live action remake as well. Yeah, so it was a cute it just, movie. Yeah, it was cute. It was just a little dull, I guess you could say. So as long as they don't yeah. dull this, then I'm all for it. Um, How Shay, about you, Anthony? What do you think? Um, well, I wanted to ask Shay a question: yeah. Is Peter Pan's flight your favorite ride at Disney World? Can I be honest with you? Mm. It's not. 
Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to say, I've never ridden it. <laughs> no, uh, it, it's, a, it's a fun ride. I rode it when I was really young, but I never went back to it only because uh, every time I go back to Disney World, it's always got a huge lineup. And yeah. I guess I, I don't want to – like as a kid, I enjoyed it, but I was like, oh, maybe it's just a kid's ride, so I won't ride again. But I keep hearing that you know it's actually still really good. So maybe I'll go when I go – whenever I go back to Florida, which I'll be honest with you – doesn't look like anytime soon. <laughs> I, I don't, don't think so. Yeah. I'm actually wearing, yeah, I'm wearing my Walt Disney World shirt today, actually, in honor of, uh, of everybody there right now. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's, I can't see myself going back there for a while. So maybe, maybe by the time I go back, I'll ride it again. You know, we'll see. With your, with your grandkids, maybe. Well, if, if I live that long wow. with them, you know, wow. <laughs> uh, if Florida clears we- up. Yeah, yeah for, for me, I'm a big fan of Jula. Um, yeah, playing Captain Hook, great. He's a great character actor. He'd probably do really good at, you know, playing Mister Hook. I don't. Re- I I don't even think I've he's, watched. He's a Japan. captain, okay? He's a captain. Yeah, don't don't yeah, just yeah, him respect the title. You know, he's the, he's earned it. I watched Hook back in the day, but yeah, Peter Pan was never my cup of tea. Not yeah. like Shay's mm-hmm. cup of tea. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess because they're um, British, that's why. Yeah, okay. I look- I look forward yeah. to yeah exactly. Um, I look forward to watching it whenever it comes out. I love Jude yeah. Law, and it's just great to see him continue to do more, more and more roles that are more relevant. I don't want him to be one of those actors that just disappears, you know. Right. He's had yeah, he no, a tendency think, to. Yes, he does. Yeah. I feel like we don't see him for a couple of years and he'll come back with a bunch of things. Like he was in Captain Marvel. He was in fantastic beasts. Like he'll do these big franchises and then he'll do smaller, more like indie ish type movies. Mm-hmm. Um, but kind of on the topic of like blockbusters and everything today for a topic of the show, you know, Peter Pan, like live action movies, they really haven't lit up the box office no. ever. No. You know, like we had pan a couple of years ago. That was pretty, panned by the critics and then we had you know back in 2003 we've had stuff and then we have more dramas in that world finding neverland and we had hook which came out in what 1991 Mm -hmm. uh which made a good amount in 1991 i mean it made 300 million dollars worldwide but you know it's kind of they never really lit the world on fire so I'm, i'm hoping this one does a better job of kind of getting people excited about this franchise again you always I, I forget think, about Hook because you do. It, yeah, you forget about. It. You also forget it's a Steven Spielberg film. Mm-hmm. Yep. I'm like, man, this is a, this is like one of his weaker films, but it's still a good film. It's it's definitely the best one of all the live action ones. And the problem is yeah. that the other live action films all look the same. Like they all yeah. have the same coloring, the same you know boy that looks just like Peter Pan that but it, it, nothing seems to reinvent itself. And I mean, Peter Pan, the animated to me really stood up because of the colors that were used. And I think it worked really well as an animated film because a lot of it was, was that body humor, you know, it was a physical humor that you'd get from yeah, cats and you know? Exactly. So in, um, in live action, it's, it's really hard to portray that without coming off too silly. And all the right. Peter Pan films have taken themselves really seriously. So it's, it's yeah. odd. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. Like We just had the movie Wendy this year, which was directed by um, the guy who did um, Beasts of, no, uh, Beast of the Southern Wilds. And it's like, that was a more of a serious take on, I guess, Wendy's story. But that just kind of came and went. That didn't really... 
no one's really speaking about that movie and i don't i don't think it reviewed well either i didn't even know it was out i didn't even know there was a wendy film when yeah i remember it, us talking, it came out in Did january wow Sorry, it came out in February 28th, and I remember us talking about it on the box office that week. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it has 37% right now on Rotten Tomatoes. So yeah, it did not did not do too well. Yeah. Um continuing on with the news this week, Invisible Man Helmer Lee Wenell uh to direct Ryan Gosling in Wolfman. This is com- coming from Mia Galapo of the Hollywood Reporter. Uh, Universal has tapped the team behind the box office hit Invisible Man to take on the latest monster movie, Wolfman. Director Lee Whannell is in talks to helm the feature that is set to star Ryan Gosling with Jason Blum's Blumhouse on board to produce. While details for the plot are being kept under wraps, sources say Gosling would play an anchorman who gets infected. The script has been described as having a vibe that evokes Network, the 1976 um movie network and nightcrawler starring jake gyllenhaal lauren shuker blum and rebecca angelo are are penning the scripts uh anthony what do you think about this it kind of reminds me of um the 94 film wolf starting starring um jack nicholson and michelle pfeiffer you guys remember that movie not really no no it was a pretty big hit it was if we were talking about blockbusters it, it made enough money it made 131 million at the box office, but um, it it's like you know you get this really known movie star like Ryan Gosling, you're gonna put him in um, a character like a werewolf, and even yeah. Bernicio del Toro had the same type of um, movie where he played Mister Wolfman, and it's just like I don't know, do we really need to see you know the werewolf guy? Do we really need do who's wanting this? Who's asking for this? And we we talk about it all the time in our chats. Like, did did anyone ask for uh, another um, werewolf film? But um, yeah, like I'm down to uh, Ryan. I like Ryan Gosling. Sure, he can play a wolf. But, <laughs> like, what's I'm, it, like what, having what, what, Lee on board. Be? How, like, yeah. what, what what type of story are you going to tell me? He's right. He turns into a wolf. That's it. Bye. It's like <laughs> I'm hoping. I'm hoping there's more to it than that. Having Lee on board makes me a bit more hopeful for sure, and you know, having Gosling attached to it. But uh, Shay, what about you? Where Where are you with this? And this, I guess, is this dark universe? Is this not dark universe? See, it seems to be kind of going down that path of oh yeah, is I guess they're trying to revive the dark universe, and they're hoping Lee Wannell can kind of you know take them there because he is the right person, I guess, to kind of you know brainchild this. Uh, I love Gosling, so I'll take anything that he does. But kind of like what Anthony said, do we need one? No, but we're probably still going to get it no matter what. And I think the last werewolf film I could think of was was, was it Benicio's, right? Where yes. he played a, he played a werewolf. So I, I didn't watch it. No one watched I, it. No one watched it. <laughs> werewolf movies are like Hulk films to me. Like when you have a character that you really, you know, has no control or any – personality really it's just this mindless monster it's really hard for the audience to relate so then you have to use these you know side characters to kind of tell the narrative and it's really tough to do that that's why thor ragnarok did such a great job of being a quote-unquote hulk film because you had thor that led that film yet you had Mm -hmm. hulk still in the movie werewolf and wolfman is kind of like that just like a frankenstein thing you really 
can't tell a full story. The last time I saw a good Wolfman movie, and it's a, it's honestly it's a bad movie though, was Van Helsing with Hugh Jackman and Kate Beckinsale. <laughs> oh, Such God. a bad movie. Oh what no no. Team so, Wolf? <laughs> I, no, before that was American Werewolf in Paris. That was also a that really a, bad. That film. was very good. It was a good movie. A werewolf in, in Paris, Paris or London? Yeah, Lo- in, well, whatever, London, London. Sorry, no, London was the good one. Paris was yeah. the really shitty, like teen one, where like they're all teenagers uh, and shit. My bad, I get the yeah. European <laughs> countries mixed up. You know? No, for sure, no, for sure. But uh, yeah, Van Helsing was the last one that I saw. But I mean, let's what see about- what happens. I, I like Willie Wendell. What about Teen Wolf though? Like, what if Teen Wolf? What if it's, it's a great comedy? Zone. See, that breaks well, up we- the whole thing. <laughs> well, we had the Teen Wolf show as well too. That was we on did. for a few seasons as well. That was, yeah. I think it was a CW show. Uh, but we'll see. I mean, we'll see. I, I feel like this is still years <laughs> away at this point, but we'll see whenever this comes out. Uh, our final news story of the week, you know, this is kind of the third time we're talking about Batman this week now with, you know, the box office resuming. And um, we're going to be talking about this Gotham show. And we also got the news last week that uh, Juvicia Leslie is taking over as Batwoman, uh, taking over the role from Ruby Rose. So, be interesting to see when that drops in the spring but the last story this week uh the batman tv spinoff from matt reeves and terrence winter set at hbo max so hbo max and matt reeves the filmmaker behind the new batman movie uh which will be coming out next year with robert pattinson have teamed up to develop a police drama set in the crime infested streets of the caped crusaders hometown gotham city Terrence Winter, who created the prohibition crime drama Boardwalk Empire and cut his teeth on The Sopranos and Martin Scorsese's The Wolf of Wall Street, will write and executive produce the series, which is coming with a series commitment from HBO Max. Uh, HBO Max says that the series will be set in the world of Reeves. Reeves is creating for the Batman feature film and will build upon the motion pictures examination of the anatomy and corruption of Gotham City ultimately launching a new Batman universe across multiple platforms. This series provides an unprecedented opportunity to expand the world established in the movie and further explore the myriad of compelling and complex characters of Gotham. It is unclear whether Jeffrey Wright and Robert Pattinson will appear in the show. No castings have been made at this early stage, sources say. So this was... Really big surprising news that dropped on Friday that I don't think anyone was expecting. You know, we've been seeing the MCU um, starting to expand into the world of TV as of Star Wars. And, you know, we did have the show Gotham, which was in its own kind of world. It wasn't tied to any movie or anything happening at the time. But um, I think the concept of the Gotham show was cool. I just think that um, it was too early in. I think Jim Gordon's career and Batman was a kid in it. So like, or Bruce Wayne was a kid in it. So you couldn't really um, explore a lot of the villains as much, but to have it set in the same world of the movie, that makes this more interesting. Um, Shay, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah. I mean, I, I didn't finish Gotham, but I got, I think season two or three, I want to say maybe. And uh, you know, I, I enjoyed it, but it still felt very like at some points, very CW ish. Yeah. And, um, it, very TV. Very TV. And at again, yeah, Batman Too Young and the time of events that it was taking place, it, it never, I never got hooked. But for this to be taking place in that same uh, universe, I'm, I'm, I'm on board because why not? We haven't had this yet, really, with, with Batman, where we've been able to have 
the movies and the TV shows kind of taking place in the same universe. So to further expand upon something that hopefully we're going to love, I'm all for it. Mm-hmm. I'm a, Anthony, I'm how about you? I'm in the same boat. I'm just, I'm just trying to think like, what story are they going to be telling? Um, are they going to go the route of the, you know, Gotham PD or is it maybe something else? Maybe they go the route of uh, just a single character that lives in Gotham and is interacting with um, the things that are happening in the Batman universe. Also, I don't know much about what, you know, Reeves has, um, for the Batman movie, what where where is what's that story? Has Batman mm-hmm. been a character for many years? Is this his first year? Like, there's so many things. So it's good to see that they are continuing that type of um, ecosystem or that storyline throughout different mediums, um, and hopefully they can build like a, a really cool franchise for Batman because Batman has it is a franchise. In itself, but it's only a franchise in the movie world, and there is some TV, but it never really worked. So hopefully, um, they can create a cohesiveness between film and television. I think exactly what you just said—that cohesiveness. You know, um, earlier on in the in the lifespan of the MCU, you know, oh, we had Agents of Shields, which um, was a spinoff series, but it like. It's it's not connect like they say it's connected, but it's not. And I think Kevin Feige was never he was never involved with the show, so it never felt like it it was in that same world of the Avengers. And like sometimes you'll have Sam Jackson kind of make an appearance, or you'll have uh, Jamie Alexander pop in as Hey, remember Sif from the first two Thor movies? Like you'll have little cameos like that. But the fact that Matt Reeves is directly involved, and the fact that you have Terrence Winter, who is a really well known. Um, writer and like creator like boardwalk empire and like obviously wrote wolf of wall street which is a great movie um it gives me a lot more hope that this will will really feel like it's it's like tier one content and not something that's supplementary not something that you don't have to pay attention to um i want this to feel important i want this to feel in that same world i hope that the characters we see in the batman movie make appearances in this show because it would feel weird if Jeffrey Wright, if the commissioner of the police department is not in this movie, uh, in this show, then why are you going to have it based on these, on these police officers? Like, what's the point? Mm -hmm. Um, If Batman doesn't make an appearance here or there, I'm like, what's the point of it? I just, I just, I want it to be good. I want it to feel important. Um, I also want to hear your guys' thoughts because, you know, we're, we're hearing a lot of discourse right now, obviously with um, the police on a cultural level and you know one of the things that we've been hearing in recent weeks as well too is you know the writing room for brooklyn 99 has kind of they've had to go back to the writer's room to really rewrite all of their upcoming season Mm. and to have a show centered around the police right now um do you guys see that as something being tone deaf or do you think the world of gotham the and the gotham pd is its own kind of bubble within the in the world of the batman and things like that i just i just wanted i wanted to hear um what you guys think of that and i'll get shay if you're cool with it to start us off yeah i'll be honest i i didn't get your question like i'm trying you to didn't get my it. question yeah like could you explain it again do you think that there will be pushback or do you think oh, about yeah, 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 a show sorry, sorry, sorry. being being based around police officers right mm, now? Yes. Okay. Uh, you know what? I don't know because uh, 
is what depends on. Hmm. I want to say that I hope they come at it from a strong and positive point because at the end of the day, you, again, just like you said about Brooklyn Nine Nine, they're rewriting it, they're going back and redoing their their script. It would suck if this new Gotham PD show is just about a straight white male cop and you know his day to day usual you know, Gotham city adventures, but give us more, give us something that's a bit more interesting. Show us the, the brutality of the police show us what actually happens. Making a TV show about cops nowadays is, um, is I don't want to say controversial, but it's just, it's a little odd. Again, it is a show that takes place in a comic universe. So I get it. It's a little different, mm-hmm. but it, it, it's still a bit, it's still a bit too on the nose currently. Sure. Yeah, for sure. And how about you, Anthony? What do you think? Like reading the books, the Gotham PD is not always it's it's never good. So it's always right that that line. There's always a more. But we don't know if it's about the Gotham PD or maybe someone who's affected by you know the Gotham. Because I'm trying to think of other storylines that you can really tell in in the Batman universe, and usually it's always about corruption. Right. Be you know someone who had to deal with that corruption, or maybe. a storyline where the police didn't support um, this person in the story. Sure. But, um, you're right. Like it is a, it's a comic universe. So you, you have to, and based on like the history of the GCPD, they're always considered like the, the worst police officers out there because of their, their corruption levels in the, in, of course, in the whole thing. So um, I think they should just be, I think they should be true to what is in the comics. Yeah. Because in, and, and, in God, like in commissioner Gordon, if he does show up and if he is a commissioner at all, um, builds that balance between their people and the police. Yeah. And I think, you know, we look at the Nolan movies and uh, yeah, there's, there's uh, a lot of, a lot of subplots with the cops and a lot of it is Gordon having to deal with a lot of that corruption and like the dirty cops and, and all of that. And I hope that this show isn't, isn't afraid to, um, to show cops in a non, non positive light. So I'm hoping that the show, especially it being on HBO max is, is going to be true to what an HBO show can be and not try and make, yeah, we don't want it like make it show us like you guys said, like show us the reality of what we've been seeing in the comics and what we're seeing in the world right now too. And I think it will be um will be a hit. Mm-hmm. We shall see. Whenever this is coming to light, you know the movie is coming out next October. Um, who knows if this is going to launch next year or in twenty twenty two? Man, that feels so weird to say. Uh, <laughs> but we do have some new dates this week. That is the end of the news. Uh, but we do have some new dates before we move on. Um, Universal announced a bunch of new dates for their films. So Halloween Kills, which was supposed to come out this October, has now been pushed to October 15th, 2021. Um, which is interesting because you know we just finished talking about Batman, and Batman is coming out on the 1st of October of next year. So... Not too far off from the Batman. Uh, Halloween Ends, which was supposed to be next year, has now been pushed another year to October 14th, 2022. Candyman, which is the Jordan Peele produced, um, I guess, remake, reimagining of the series. Naya Naya DaCosta, I believe, right? Corrected? 
Nida Costa is directing it. Yep. Yeah. Uh, it's coming out on October 16th of this year now. So that movie was supposed to come out in May, I believe. Yeah. And now the Forever Purge is coming out July 9th, 2021. Can we just um, Forever so again, Purge those movies? Mm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, one day. One day. Uh, weirdly enough, the box office this week. Uh, Star Wars sequel tops weekend for 45th time in 40 years. This is coming from Scott Mendelson of Forbes. So from May of 1980 to July of 2020, sequels and prequels to the Star Wars to Star Wars A New Hope have topped the box office more than 40 times. And yet another <laughs> another goofy little twist of the summer season that wasn't the Empire Strikes Back is allegedly the top of the box office this weekend, becoming the latest blockbuster of days past to gain a, a top the weekend box office among a flurry of back catalog titles filling up the drive-ins and hard top theaters that are currently being opened. The Irvin uh, Krishner directed chapter of George Lucas's Star Wars saga should earn between 450 to 500,000. That's a rough estimate over the weekend, pushing its total domestic cum to 291 million. This was an interesting one to see. Obviously we we've seen a lot of random movies taking the top spot over the last couple weeks, but Anthony, what do you think about seeing empire strikes back at the top of the box office again? It's not surprising. It is. It's star Wars, you know, it, people are going to watch it. I'm, I'm just surprised that at, it being, you know, this is the 45th time in 40 years. That's crazy. That's like, I don't even, I think that's like a world record. I don't, I don't know any other movie that's been um, that number one for that many times in the past 20 or sorry, 40 years. That's crazy. Yeah, exactly. It's it's crazy to see this. But yeah, like Shit. it's Star Wars. There, no one's, and it's the best Star Wars out of all the Star Wars, right? Sample I think so. Back. I would watch it in theaters and I can watch it in, I would want to feel like I was in, you know, when did the empire strikes back and come out in the eighties? 81. You know, there's a nostalgic feeling to it when you go watch it at a drive-in. Cause 1980, it came out. Wow. You kind of feel like, Oh, it's like, this is how they used to watch movies in the eighties. Sometimes they would go to these drive-ins and this is how it would look. And, you know? Yeah, no, it's great to see. How about you, Shay? What do you think? I mean, yeah, uh, it kind of depressed me a little bit because this is the state that we're at right now where we have uh, really, really, really old films making it, you know, top of the box office. It's fine. It's, yep. it, yeah, it didn't, I, again, I just felt kind of sad that we're not getting new movies still. That's just how I felt. Of course. You know, we would have been watching uh, Ghostbusters Afterlife this weekend, but not this week. <laughs> not yet. We got to wait till next year. Never. Um, <laughs> but now let's get into some trailers. 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 Oh, I like that one. It was a, it was a fancy ending. Uh, we got a bunch of new trailers this week. Um, <laughs> let's start off with the Quibi Quibi exclusive Die Heart. This is starring Kevin Hart, who wants to be taken seriously as an action star. Um, so he's playing, I guess, a version of himself. Uh, this movie is coming to Quibi. That's all you need to know. Uh, did you guys watch this trailer? Yes. I haven't even, 
I haven't even watched Quibi, so I don't know what you're expecting. <laughs> What's this Quibi you talked like, about? Are we saying it right, even? Quib- Quibi? 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 Is that a Pokemon? I don't know. But- <laughs> uh, yeah, so this was a trailer that happened, and if you are a subscriber to Quibi, if you're one of the 8% of the people still on it, of the 92% who left after the free trial, uh, let us know. We'd love to hear what your experience is with this app. Uh, we got a trailer for Disney uh, Disney Plus original called The One and Only Ivan, which is looks to be an animal movie with a lot of vo- uh, vocal talents and Brian Cranston. Uh, Shay, what do you think of this one? Yeah, it just it made me sad again. I've been I think I'm just feeling sad. <laughs> like every time we're, we're 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 talking about new movie news, it's only things that seem like they're at the bottom of the barrel. Like, oh, this is a film that we shot in 30 days. Let's Okay, let's get this off to the editor and release it on one of our streaming services. Oh, this one's called The One and Only Ivan. It's about a, a gorilla or an ape or something. And let's just pump push it out there. Who can we get as the voice actors? Well, everyone's at home right now, so let's just record them. Sounds good. <laughs> Wasn't this oh, movie meant for streaming, though? I'm not too sure, to be honest. Who knows? I hadn't heard of it until the trailer came out. Yeah, but like it had pretty good CG from the looks of it. So I think there were some scenes that looked a little like, ooh, but I mean, again, for a direct-to-home release, yeah. it's not the worst we've seen, obviously. Um, Brian Cranston, yeah, he's going he's to cut Brian Cranston. with the with the, <laughs> with the animals. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Um, we also got uh, new looks at the Umbrella Academy Season 2, which is coming to Netflix, and The Boys Season 2, which is coming to Amazon. Uh, did you guys get to check out these trailers? Yes. I'm looking forward to both. I watched uh, Umbrella Academy season one, which was really, really good. Um, Umbrella Academy season two looks even better. And the boys season two was the trailer for that was fantastic. I can't wait to watch that in September. Yeah, I, we loved, uh, I know we spoke about it a lot last August. We loved our time um, watching the boys on Amazon. And I'm really looking forward to season two starting in September, I think September 4th um, Highlander and all the, all the crew are back and it just looks like it's going to be crazier than ever. Uh, I've never watched the umbrella Academy. I want to, it's in my, it's been in my Netflix like queue for so long. So I'll, I'll have to give it a watch hopefully before season two starts. Yeah. Shay, did you, uh, did you catch these trailers? Uh, you know what? I, I really hovered over the boys for a while and then I'm like, no, no I think I kind of want to go in, um, I kind of want to go in just not because you guys kept telling me about like all the things that are happening. And I'm like, I think I want to kind of go in uh, as, uh, as, as blind as possible. And uh, Daniel, you, I think you called him Highlander. Uh, it's definitely Homelander. Homelander. What well, is Highlander is the show. Is it not? <laughs> uh, I definitely thought of the, the, the guy with like the long hair, like Conan Barbarian style, you know, <laughs> both of those series filmed in Toronto. Yes. Yep. Which is great. Shout out. Shout out to, to Toronto, where we're from. Shout out to Toronto, home of so many movies that Toronto never plays itself in movies. So hopefully one day uh, it will. Except except for uh, the man from Toronto, which hopefully we'll still get. With uh, was it Jason which is starring Kevin, Kevin Hart, right? Yes, Kevin Hart. <laughs> I know. We'll see. We shall see. Uh, we got a look at uh, Ethan Hawke as Nikolai Tesla, and a movie that's going to be coming out later this year. Uh, did you guys get to check out this trailer? Yeah, it was like, what am I watching? It's a weird one, right? It's so weird. It was this version of Tesla that 
every version of Tesla never really is portrayed well. And maybe I'm wrong with this one, but like this one had Tesla at one point singing in front of an audience. So I don't know if this is like there's dream sequences and it had like this 80s music vibe and yeah, it felt very neon. I mean, I David why. Bowie did a great job as uh, Nikola Tesla in uh, The Prestige. The Prestige. Yeah, that was like, what, five minutes? <laughs> four, I think, actually. That's four minutes? Four and a half. Four and a half. Four and a half. They, they also um, made like this eccentric, weird dude. I feel like he was just a normal guy who figured out electricity. <laughs> he was just it's very much possible. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, Shay, did you see this trailer? No, ironically, I did not watch this trailer. I, I Something about Ethan Hawke, I, I don't love him so much so yeah okay, i don't really okay. like go oh my god like, oh yeah like I'll, it's one of those things where i'm like i'll see it when i see it but a lot of the movies he's been doing recently have been very like straight to the walmart drive-in you know that's true um yeah we just got uh tesla was just portrayed in what was it the energy war or the, the current, current war, war? The yeah, current war that war. came out. Uh, war I was like, was it, it was some title. stupid name. Uh, the current war, which was a tiff, and then it came out again last year. And no, I don't think anybody's seen it yet. Nope. Yeah. I don't even know where to watch this that movie. movie. Came out at tiff like three years ago, and then yeah, postponed, and then it came out in, like to the public <laughs> this last year. No one watched it, and it had a really great cast because Michael Shannon's in it, uh, Cumberbatch, and um, uh, Tom, Holland. Kid, Tom Holland. Tom Holland and uh, Thing played Tesla in it. Yeah. Uh, what's his face? Nicholas Holt. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's, it's interesting. I don't even know. Is that even available anywhere to watch right now? I kind of want to watch it just because of the star, star power. Uh, it is available to purchase on Apple TV for $15. Hmm, that's fast about, you know, 14 too many. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. Maybe one day. And uh, rounding out our trailers of this week, uh, a trailer that just dropped today, actually, or leaked a few days ago, but dropped today officially, Far Cry 6. This is a video game trailer from Ubisoft uh, that is starring Giancarlo Esposito, who you may know as Gus from Breaking Bad. Um, this was a dope trailer. This, like, this, obviously, Ubisoft are some of the best in the business at making these amazingly cinematic trailers, and they had an amazing title sequence too. Um, overall, their Ubisoft Forward event was a little lackluster, to say the least. But I would, this trailer made me really interested. I had a really good time with Far Cry Five, and um, you know, Shay and I we play that a lot. Uh, Shay, what did you think about the trailer? Very cool trailer. Very very well done. I mean. They again, just like you said, they have a very good eye for how to make trailers. Um, yeah, it, it it didn't really do much. It, it just it was just well paced and it was like a little. It was pretty cool. It was just unique. That's it. Nothing much to it, I think. Anthony, how about you? Yeah, for me, same. I I actually really loved the title sequence. It reminded me of like an HBO like True Detective, exactly um, opening. Um, Giancarlo Esposito phenomenal character actor i feel like he's doing everything now like whatever is thrown in his face he's doing and it's all good so i'm glad to see him in a video game and he's portraying like a dictator of um i want to say like a south america it reminded me of cuba um but like just yes really dark and 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 sinister dictator who challenges his son on uh, loyalty to his cause so I'm looking forward to to uh, playing Far Cry, Far Cry Six. 
It's funny. I just saw a tweet from uh, Brian Altano of IGN that uh, <laughs> this has made me laugh because a lot of the time with like Ubisoft games, they have like these such dark worlds that they're picturing. And he's like, uh, every Ubisoft, every Ubisoft game is like, it's a time of political unrest. <laughs> Brutal authoritarian regimes are destroying the spirit of the oppressed. It's up to you, a lone revolutionary, to stop them. And pre-order now for the exclusive Tiger Rifle and BJ the Party Dog Sidekick DLC. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if it always kills me. You know, like Ubisoft is a is a Montreal based you know game developer. They do have um, places in Toronto and so. But like the French are always in a revolution, revolution, oh. <laughs> revolution against uh, revolution. That's it. That's revolution. Revolution. <laughs> Not revolting. Wonder- yeah, revolting against the world. It's yeah. I guess that's just part of their uh, anatomy just to revolt that's true um yeah so we'll have to see that game is going to be coming out in february of next year so we'll have some time to talk about it uh i would love to get into what we're watching and to kick us off i'd love to start with a little mini review of the lonely islands palm springs uh so shay and i got to watch this yesterday Mm -hmm. uh shay i'll get you to kind of introduce what this movie is all about I mean, <laughs> I mean, you had the opportunity. How did you get Hulu, though? How did you get Hulu in Canada? <laughs> Listen, <laughs> I don't understand how that happened. You, you don't have uh, American internet, okay? We do. Okay, there's no such thing. <laughs> there's no such thing. <laughs> Anyways, uh, Shay, so, tell us what tell us what Palm Springs is all about, Shay. So I, I'm going to try to be as um, vague about it as I can because I think if you kind of go into this film knowing as little as possible. You kind of have a better experience, I think. Um, so Palm Springs basically is about Andy Samberg. He is going to a wedding with his girlfriend that's taking place um, in almost like a des- desert kind of locale, like a Arizona or like, is it, I think it's, it's in California, I believe. Um, and, you know, the film is basically about a very groundhog like day effect that's taking place with Andy Samberg. And he's he's kind of fallen for this girl. And it's just about their adventures now within this uh, groundhog-like day environment that they're kind of living through the same wedding every single day. Um, so, yeah, it's it's absolutely wicked. I, uh, um, Daniel, if you want to talk more about it. Yeah, I think I think the greatest thing about this movie is that obviously it's it's a comedy, but it's it's a, a movie that's not afraid to go to very, I guess, dark places and off, obviously kind of put a mirror in front of uh, the fears that we all kind of have about life, especially like a young adult's life, seeing what the rest of their future is going to hold. And I, and I love that it wasn't afraid to kind of to go to those dark places and kind of show the dark thoughts that these characters have. And, you know, like we said, like it's a groundhog day situation. We, I don't want to give too much away of the plot, but because they essentially can't die, there's a lot of things that they play around with that. And you, there, mm-hmm. you just kind of see them doing things, re- living recklessly because they can. And it really goes to show when you're seeing these scenarios over and over again, how they kind of approach it differently each time and, mm-hmm. and how, they kind of are aware of what other characters are doing and thinking because they've lived these days that he's, they lived these days so many times (laughs) over and over and over again. Um, I just have to like really shout out just how this movie was edited because 
I think this year it's one of the best edited films. Um, and I know that's not a, a long list of movies to really hold it up against, but I just, in terms of when you're having anything to do with time travel and jumping back and forth, pretty much, um, you really want to make sure that everyone is staying in the know of what's mm-hmm. happening. And I'm saying that as, as an audience, as the viewer, and I think this movie does such an amazing job of letting you stay focused on what's happening, having a good time, balancing the humor, balancing the darkness, and also telling um, a really damn good story. And I, and I honestly think this is Andy Samberg's best performed film. Mm-hmm. Um, this is like, obviously the lonely islands are known for so many songs and, and movies and everything like that. But you have a cast of people, you have JK Simmons in this movie, you have, um, uh, Kristen uh, Meloti, is that uh, I believe that's her name. She plays. I think that's uh, yeah. Kristen Meloti. Uh, she was also in Wolf of Wall Street. Uh, she in that. Mm-hmm. And she was in Wolf of Wall Street back in 2013. Um, and basically, to have this kind of whole movie centered around a wedding, I think was a really cool idea. And having it set in like Palm Springs and and Cali was awesome and just kind of seeing just just being in this world was really fun and i and i just i loved every minute of this movie honestly and when it comes to canada in any capacity i definitely think you should spend some time and watch it because i think it's a perfect quarantine movie it's a perfect summer movie um it's easily for me my favorite movie of the year so far so i can't wait to watch it again Mm-hmm. I, I agree with you. It's uh, it's definitely it's 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 a watch it for sure. Um, really good pacing and really really funny movie as well. Yeah, uh, Anthony, what have you been watching this week? So obviously, uh, we've all been watching a lot of blockbusters. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, we'll be talking about that in our topic of the show. So definitely uh, give us a list of what you've been watching this week, though. So I started the week <clears throat> watching Transformers. So I saw it on Netflix. I thought, okay, let's watch it. I haven't watched it in a while. Um, relive those memories of watching it for the first time, which was like, wow, like this is, can't believe this is happening. You know, like Transformers was one of those movies that was yeah. beyond belief, like so surreal. Like these are, these are things that you never would have expected to be on screen and done so well, even though it is a Michael Bay film. Um, done. The effects hold up. The effects are great. Um I wanted to watch uh, Transformers 2, uh, but I couldn't find it. It's like Netflix had Transformers 1, and they had Transformers 3. And Interesting. Transformers 2 was like, where the hell are you? <laughs> I couldn't find uh, it anywhere. Which always Yeah, I have it from uh, – I, I bought it from iTunes a few years ago. It was like it was like for 20 bucks. it was like 1, 2, 3, and 4. So, that's, so I, I was th- debating watching Revenge of the Fallen as well, but I'm like, I'll watch it another time maybe. Right. But – but yeah. yeah, it's um just yeah, like the effects hold up. Obviously, like you said, it's a Michael Bay movie, but uh there's the effects in this movie especially are just like, damn, like this uh this looks great. Like this could hold up to a twenty twenty movie, I think. Definitely, definitely, because there's like a lot of like practical effects that were used for the the destruction of we'll say cars and buildings, but then they, you know, CG um these big robots in the middle of them. But um, right, yeah, man, it was uh, great reliving those those memories from two thousand and eight, seven, two thousand seven, summer of two thousand seven. Yeah. Um, put on Snowpiercer, still watching Snowpiercer. Uh, I believe 
I don't know if that was the last episode. There might be another one. Hopefully, we'll see on Monday. Uh, watched Independence Day, another blockbuster, another movie of the the summer. Um, huge movie, CG not so great. And I I, I always uh, try to figure out, like, try to wonder why why did it win an Academy Award for best um, graphic, uh, like you know CG graphics? And I never really liked the CG in Independence Day. There was a lot of like slow motion ghosting that I never particularly was a fan of. But I know they're like miniatures and, and and like the way they created the explosions. That was great. But I don't know. Some of it just does not live up. It's not like Jurassic Park where Jurassic Park, even to this day, you can be like, man, that T-Rex looks great. Or man, that that raptor sequence looks fantastic. Or the running but I mean, like in the forest. Yeah. And it's, and it's interesting because it was up against Dragonheart and it was up against Twister. So um, you would have given it to Twister. You would have given it to Twister over Independence Day. Um, like Twister doesn't hold up either. Like watching, right? It doesn't. It doesn't. No, it did a really good job too. It's hard to say. It's hard to say. maybe maybe because Independence Day had so many sci-fi elements too that it it got the the nod to it that Mm -hmm. it got the nod for the Oscars. And I mean, for '96, especially like I think the miniatures are definitely the most interesting part of it and i mean at the end of the day it's it's still visual effects it doesn't have to be from the computer necessarily so yeah right i think yeah, yeah. i still think that when you compare to those two it's definitely the one that did the best at that time yeah but um it just doesn't hold up <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> I, watch, I watched perry mason um great show watch it if you have a chance to if you're really into like Crime noir. Uh, watch the nun. Don't watch that. Um, <laughs> it's really bad. Again, it's part of the Conjuring um, uh, franchise. Universe of movies. Yeah. The only good part was the ending, where it ties everything into the Conjuring. But um, yeah, not so great. Uh, watch Men in Black, which I would say the CG still holds up on Men in Black. I think Men in Black CG is fantastic. Like I was watching it. Was it third? Wednesday? Yeah, Wednesday. And I'm like, man, this is fantastic. Like the sequence with Mikey in the beginning of the movie to when they, they, sh- when, um, is it K? K shoots, uh, um, Tony Shalhoub's character and his face like shrinks and then blows up again to all the people in that, the film and as well as Vincent D'Onofrio, which I think was fantastic. Like to play that character, his movements, his like voice, his 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 mannerisms, to be like this cockroach that's living in a human body and is trying to you know roam around the New York City landscape trying to find this universe. It's he just did a really 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 good job. Did you do you guys like agree with that with the CG on Men in Black that it just still holds? It's really good, yeah. Definitely in some aspects for sure. I mean, I think when you look at men in black two, that movie was really rough going back to that a couple years ago, but uh, cause it had that early two thousands look, but men in black, the first one, I think still really holds up, mm-hmm. especially with a lot of the practical stuff they did. Um, I really enjoy the men in black series, you know, even two and three, which aren't the greatest obviously, but I, I feel, I still think it's a fun franchise. Obviously one being my favorite of the bunch. Um, and honestly, I've pretty much wiped, um, what was it called? Men in Black uh, International? Uh, International from my mind. Oh, that uh, one. 
Yeah, so I'm like, shit. When did that <laughs> come totally out? Wiped it. I totally wiped. Yeah, it. <laughs> they they definitely wiped my my memory of that I one. I would so. say three is better than two. Yes, easily, easily, easily. easily. After watching Men in Black, I went on a true crime docu series uh, spree. So I watched a binge binge watched the Jinx, the Life and Times of Robert Durst. Love um, it. Have you, guys, have you guys seen this? Yes. Yes, man. It was so fantastic. Good. Uh, for those of you who do not know who Robert Durst is, he is uh, a real estate heir who is um, who was acquitted and presumed the murder of his wife, as well as his best friend, as well as another friend. Um, it's just this guy who 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 lived a life of a really really rich person who thought he can get away with everything and do whatever he want because he had money. Um, he, it was, it was such an interesting documentary it came out in 2015, mm-hmm. um, and how it, it like spanned out how this movie or how this docuseries started was, was fantastic. The first show, first episode it just grips you. And it's mm-hmm. about, it's about a, this memberment of a, of a person in Texas who is connected to Robert Durst and how they connect this crime and then lead to all these other crimes to him. Um, what did you think of this, Shay? Like, I, I remember you talking about it, but, um, yeah. I know, uh, I know Daniel watched it recently too, because he, it was maybe, I think this year he kind of watched it, but for yeah, me, it was during the quarantine, uh, the beginning of quarantine when oh, I was really? just like, let's watch every murder mystery <laughs> doc available on streaming services. Yeah. In terms to of never sleep again. Yeah. In terms of in my opinion, I absolutely loved it. It's the same guy who directed the movie about Robert Durst as well. Um, yes. With no, um, Ryan Gosling and Kirsten Ryan Gosling. Can I can I uh, bring up? So I, go yeah. ahead. You finish. Then I'm going to bring up some really interesting facts that I, I did some research on. But go ahead. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. For me, um, I loved this doc so much. I watched it in pretty much in a couple of days because I was super sick one week and I I binged it. And I think the ending is still something I think about to this day. And anytime I tell somebody to go watch this doc, I'm like, you have to stay for the end of this doc because it will. Just, just shock the shit out of you. And his trial got pushed back. I think it's like it was supposed to be this year uh, sometime, but I think I pushed back to later this year. No, it was yeah, it was supposed to happen in March, and then what happened was COVID started, and right, um, it was pushed back. I'm like, this this fucking guy is so lucky. He gets yeah. acquitted of murder. He can't get like a proper like like trial. It's like everything is continuously pushed back, pushed back. What did you think yeah. of it, Daniel? It's it's an intense show. Honestly, it's very very intense. Just like what you guys saying, you got to it just. I think when I watched it too, I was in that mindset of like murdering people, murdering. <laughs> <laughs> not that, no. Luckily, not that. But just I was just such in a like in a dark kind of state of mind with like kind of where the world was and all these shows that I've been watching as well too. So it's just it just really makes you. Just sad of where the what the world is, and you see these things, and you kind of you watch it, thinking this thing, these things only happen in movies, Mm -hmm. or this things only happen in TV shows, and it's like shit. There's some really dark aspects of humanity, and it really, really makes you think about that. Yeah, man, it was it was quite shocking that ending, quite quite shocking. Um, But going back to the information I had. 
um, the director, which is Andrew Jarecki. He directed All Good Things, which is loosely based on the story of uh, Robert Durst and the, you know the, the the murder and and his wife missing. So this is how it all started. It started with this movie that led to him doing the Jinx. So I kind of did some research on this Andrew Jarecki, and he kind of comes from the same environment as uh, Robert Durst. Jarecki is he's a really wealthy man. His father was super super wealthy. Um, Jarecki he he actually created uh, Movie Phone, which he sold to uh, AOL back in. I guess in the early 2000s for like 500 million. Oh wow! So his there, there was some relation between Robert Durst and him coming from a rich family and this guy coming from a rich family. But what was surprising is that the director, uh, when I typed in his name in Google, he popped up right away, and it's because his name and his father's name were found in the address book of none other than Jeffrey Epstein. And it just says of a course. lot. And I'm again, I'm not accusing anything, uh, you know, towards Andrew Jarecki. I'm just saying, it's funny how rich people are. They find themselves in, you know, deep shit with other things. And it's like, yeah, this guy was telling a story about this murderer, but who knows what, you know, skeletons are in his closet, and now they're kind of oh boy. revealed. Man, the rich live a interesting interesting life and we're not just talking about rich we're talking about the super rich like those Mm -hmm. multi-millionaire multi-billionaire people uh Mm -hmm. but yeah isn't that funny what's the what's the name of the 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 lady who keeps popping up in pictures who just got i guess arrested uh Um, yeah yeah Yeah. it's funny how like it, it like just like what you said, Anthony. Like these rich people, like she's been fucking popping up in pictures. Like she's where's Waldo mm-hmm. with like with all these like famous celebrities and at weddings and at these socialite events. It's it's crazy that like this rich one percent elitist worlds that just are just pieces of shit in the world of what they do mm-hmm. kind of all have some weird ties to one another. If the um, big, if the but big, yeah, like, uh, thanks for sharing what you've been watching, Anthony. Oh, I have. Oh, one you're more. not done yet, actually. I have one more. Um, but and getting yeah, back to to um, directly, it's just it's funny. Like your name is in the address book of one of the world's biggest sex traffickers. There, there can't be a good reason why. Maybe no, not at all. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, another true crime um, TV series I started, which is uh, called "I'll Be Gone in the Dark," and it tells the story of Michelle McNamara, who is a true crime author and became really obsessed with the Golden State Killer. Um, so if you don't know who the Golden State Killer is, he is a American serial killer, serial rapist, and burglar who committed over 13 murders, 50 rapes, and 100 burglaries between Jesus. Uh, 1964 and 1986. Um, and no one knew about him. No one knew about him. And the story that takes place is how Michelle kind of started um, tying all these different uh, crimes towards one man. And they called him the golden state killer. And the story, you know, how it's told is told through the eyes of Michelle. It's also told through the eyes of um, his victims Um, and like what the world looked like when, 
when it was happening, especially it was, you know, the sixties and seventies and how, you know, police treated these types of crimes, um, blaming the women and like allowing, you know, you dress too provocatively. That's why he chose you and he picked you. And, you know, that thought, that mentality, that thought process of what it, what it was like to be a victim of a crime like that in the sixties and seventies. Um, but um, interesting doc, HBO, again, does a great, great true crime uh, docuseries. Anything that they make that's true crime is um, fantastic. But um, yeah. Did you watch uh, the Robert Durst one? Did you watch that on HBO as well? Yeah, it was on Crave. So I just oh. came across it. And I'm like, oh, let's watch a, you know, another documentary series. So I popped it on. Excellent. Thank you for sharing. Shay, how about you? What did you watch this week? I, I also watched uh, Independence Day, like uh, Anthony said. and It's a movie that I watch probably like once a year. I don't know. I really love it. It reminds me of good times. Uh, to continue with my blockbuster theme, I also watched Face Off. Uh, this movie is so interesting because it's it's so bad it's good in a way like as as i'm watching it i'm picking up things that i'm like oh my god how did i think this was okay or or even cool like it's a pretty it's a pretty bad film but i just i love how stupid it is um uh little miss sunshine not a blockbuster but i hadn't seen it probably since it came out and it was it's a it's a nice film i really enjoy it uh comedy wise i watched rat race because i I love that movie. I think it's absolutely hilarious. Great I try movie. to watch it. I try to watch it whenever I can. Obviously, Palm we Springs. watched it in uh, in Florida. Did we, we not? We did. We definitely did watch it in Florida. Yeah. So that's, probably, that's probably the last time I saw it. And then uh, Palm Springs, obviously. And um, I'm almost done with Modern Family season 11 now. So this is the final season. I have about two or three episodes left. So pretty uh, pretty excited to say goodbye to this family. <laughs> Going to murder them or something? Oh, it God. did sound like I was going to murder them, but uh, that's up to the viewers to decide. Get ready to say goodbye. <laughs> uh, thanks, Shay. Uh, yeah, like Anthony, for myself, I did watch Transformers this week. Um, so we spoke about that, and you know the effects are great in this movie. Uh, some banger soundtracks, uh, some music in that in the soundtrack for this movie. Uh, some really weird choices. Some very 2007 choices. It just feels like this movie was catered to uh 14 year old boys um like i think that was like the prime demographic for this movie just from everything from the shots of megan fox to the music to oh my gosh, yeah. just the cars like it's very much tailored to teenage boys and i i'm not surprised that megan fox did not have a good time on the set of these movies because of um the way that she's portrayed in them of course i don't think um, anyone had a good time on that set no, uh, probably not. I went back to even Honey Boy and watching Shia LaBeouf and yeah. understanding his thought process behind it. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And, and I always laugh at uh, – I was texting I was texting uh, Shay about this at the end where it's literally – like the end of the movie, obviously, where Ult- Optimus is having his kind of final voiceover to any other Autobots out there in the world. And it's just funny to me that like uh, Shia LaBeouf and like Megan Fox are like making out <laughs> on top of Bumblebee – and all the Autobots are parked looking at them, <laughs> not even looking at the, the sunset horizon. They're parked looking at giant Awkward robot. And I was just like, this is so weird. And they're, they're just like going at it. And like all the Autobots are just there watching. <laughs> it's such a weird way to end a movie. 
<laughs> oh, I was weird. dying of laughter. Um, this week as well, I also watched Spider-Man Homecoming. Uh, I watched Mission Impossible Rogue Nation. I watched Speed uh, as well. So I was watching a lot of big blockbuster summer movies. Obviously, going back to watching Speed is always fun. Uh, my dad uh, has driven a bus for close to 30 years so he's been uh at that along speed, with other jobs he's been crashed at that same speed <laughs> uh so <laughs> my dad was telling me all the wrong things that the bus driver was doing in that movie uh which was always it's always fun to watch that uh i checked out the old guard which is the new um netflix original movie starring Charlize theron i'll be honest with you there's some really cool action in this movie but i don't have anything really else much to say about it because i to be honest i was just really bored watching it i just felt that you know this this is about a group of mercenaries who are basically they cannot die so you're kind of watching it and then you never really feel like there's any stakes involved for them i still have about 30 minutes left of it so i i still have to finish it but everything up to this point i i'll be honest i really have not been invested in it too much um another speaking of another movie i was not invested in i watched greyhound yesterday which is apple tv's latest uh acquired content starring tom hanks um matt Rohrbeck of the entitled movie podcast accurately called this movie i i believe boat terminology the movie um because literally every line in this movie is something so tied to the world of i guess commanding a boat in 1941 or 44 whenever this movie takes place that it just i just could not get into it and i think the cg is really rough in some aspects of it and because the majority of the movie is taking place during the storm that it's kind of hard to tell what's going on and it kind of it i feel like tom hanks watched dunkirk and was like okay yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna write that too because it kind of takes place over different time periods of like of, of the days where it's kind of broken up and there's like, I guess text on screen kind of trying to tie each sequence together. Um, and it just wasn't doing it for me. And uh, the music in this movie and just the mixing overall was so poorly mixed, you know, Nolan oftentimes goes for that really loud music where you you're really listening to the dialogue where it kind of works, but this movie just felt like the music was like at a, an 11 the entire time. And the dialogue was at a two. So I literally, I was turning on subtitles just to make sure I could actually hear what was being said. It was, I just, it was, I, I just found it really poorly mixed. So both those movies, I would say you could skip them unfortunately, but Palm Springs loved it. Watch it when it comes to Canada. So, Greyhound is getting an 80% on Rotten Tomatoes. How is that possible? If it's... People... <laughs> I just... It wasn't for me. I don't like... It just... I just wasn't... I wasn't feeling it. Definitely, like, if you're, if you're curious, check it out. But I just... I just wasn't feeling it. Even the action sequences in it were just kind of happening. And I was just like, okay. But I just... It wasn't for me. Mm. Yeah. Gentlemen... This week on the movie podcast, our topic of the show is all about summer blockbuster movies. So you may be wondering to yourself, oh gosh, (laughs) what is a blockbuster? I liked it. I I liked it. I thought you were going to go the full like Terminator 2, like sound. That was too much. It was too much. See, I I thought it was too much. (laughs) So you're probably wondering what's a blockbuster. So when we say the term blockbuster, what do we mean? 
Anthony, what do you? Why did so you? Anthony made this amazing list, kind of breaking down all the biggest movies of the summer from the last thirty years. And Anthony, what did you kind of classify as your criteria for that? Um, well, the movie has to take place in the summer. <laughs> as a, as a, as <laughs> That's a, not the rule. <laughs> no, no. So um, the movie would have to come out during summertime. So I concluded it was May, June, July. In August, correct. Um, it would have to make, especially in the '90s, because that's where when, that's when summer blockbusters started to happen, like start to appear more and more and more. And based on the 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 cost of a film, it would have had to make fifty million or close to a hundred million um, domestically. And then after that, from 2000 to 2010, it would have to make two hundred fifty million. And from 2010 to now, it would have to make about 200 million. So money is a big thing when it comes to a summer blockbuster. Even though you might get a bigger worldwide release, it's more. I concluded it was a domestic um, domestic turnaround that really um, jolted the the name or really synonified the name summer blockbuster. Um, but yeah, those are where the criteria of it. Not a lot of movies you think made it, um, but you know the '90s and the early 2000s were the golden era of summer blockbusters. And For sure. Compared to what we see now, we're kind of in the uh, the Bronze Age of summer blockbusters. Even though movies make tons of money now, compared to the amount of movies generating money and how much they actually cost, um, there's not a lot of them. Like they used it's to. true. Yeah. So for the term blockbuster itself, this actually that's like a kind of a wartime um, name. So this kind of goes back to um, I guess the 1940s where bombs were used. Like they were called blockbusters because they were literally able to take out an entire city block. And then from there, like Time Magazine kind of started coining the term to talk about like surprising and like mega news. And the real, the kind of first blockbuster that's often spoken about is Steven Spielberg's Jaws. Mm -hmm. And that's just because the summer that that came out, it was just a pop culture phenomenon. And that's one of the things that happens with these summer blockbusters is that they're just movies that kill it at the box office, but also just word of mouth just makes them just... It becomes part of our of our culture, of everyday culture that we talk about and we reference. And Jaws was the first movie for that to really happen. And Star Wars uh, followed that up in the two years later. And then since then, we've in the eighties it was kind of like one or two movies, maybe a summer. But starting in the nineties, it was like multiple movies. And two thousands, it just kind of really started growing and growing. And now we have summers where we have. Uh, like last, or, or let's look at 2017 for example. We had just from Marvel alone, we had uh, Spider-Man: Homecoming. We had Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, we had just mega movies coming out just from Marvel, and that's not even including what like DC had Wonder Woman that year. Like we had so many movies happening alone, and from franchises. That's really what is happening now. Is that all these movies are? It's all the franchises that are really kind of taking over that. Uh, that mantle of the summer blockbuster superhero movies or fast and the furious type movies. So franchise movies, yeah. Franchise yeah. movies. So for you guys, I wanted to talk about 
kind of our favorite blockbusters of summer blockbusters specifically of all time and why they matter to you. So I'm gonna, I would love to open this up with Shay. And if you wanted to talk ab- about a blockbuster that you love. For, for me, my blockbusters really were the nineties. Um, you know, I look back to the first one that I can really remember was independence day. Cause that to me stood out to me so much. And that's kind of why I started my week off of that film. Um, I look back at, you know, Terminator 2, that movie I watched really young also, and it was phenomenal, phenomenal movie. A lot of the summer blockbusters that I ended up watching were obviously much past or what much before, sorry, my time. Like I look back at Die Hard 1, 2, um, Total Recall, uh, the Batman films every summer, you know, going to watch them like Batman Forever, Batman Returns, things like that. So those were my, my, initial idea of summer blockbuster and i think the reason why was a lot of the times i would be renting those movies at blockbuster so it really kind of fit the bill for me um growing up it wasn't probably until we started to get marvel films or you know the transformers movies that it started to feel again like the resurgence of the summer Mm -hmm. blockbuster and transformers one you're right it it has that look it has that grave you know grand feel of a summer blockbuster film. It's hard to say. That comedies. movie feels huge. Yeah. It's really hard to see like comedies as a, uh, as summer blockbusters. I remember going to go watch Godzilla by Roland Emmerich in theaters because, you oh, know, gosh. huge fan of independence day. And as a kid, honestly, I loved Godzilla. When I put it on now, I get the nostalgia from it. But other than that, I'm aware it's a bad film, but um, movies like mission impossible, the rock, all those ones to me are my absolute favorites. And I think, going forward as we look at Mission Impossible, it's still setting the bar for what a summer blockbuster movie should be. Mm-hmm. I think in terms of stakes, in terms of locations, and just terms and just of how that, grand it is. And just how grand it is, right? It just feels massive. And I think just, you know, we were all kids at some point, and the summer was mm. that time where you kind of felt like anything was possible. Like your summer was, well, like as adults, we kind of see like, Months go by so fast, but I feel like growing up, summers felt like lifetimes almost. Like yeah, exactly. You would yeah. go, you would, you would finish school in June, you would go back to school in September, and I feel like you'd be a different person. And especially in school, like you'd be people would be hitting growth spurts, people would be changing over the summer, so it just felt like different lifetimes. And those movies that you watch during those summer months, I feel like define you so much. And I think so many of these movies that I've watched, like. I'm looking at our uh, this list Anthony compiled and I'm like, I remember seeing Pirates of the Caribbean, the curse of the black pearl in theaters. And that movie was such a moment in time for me. I was 10 years old seeing Mm -hmm. that. And then talking about it with my friends and my family. And then like, like that, it just stays with you. And it it just, there's movies that just regardless of how good they are, you always kind of, you could always tie it back to a time of your life. And I think music has the power of doing that. Movies have the power of doing that. And it's it's a, it's such an amazing thing that you could kind of go back and be like, damn, like, look, like, kind of look where I am now. And when I think about this movie, it's bringing me, it's like teleporting me back to another time of my life. And it's, it's amazing. Yeah. Um, I'm, I agree with you, Dan. I think when, when I think of summer blockbuster, it always brings me back to when I was a kid because, you know, when you're done school, you're you're not in school anymore and you can go watch all the movies you want to watch it's it's hard to go watch a movie when you're in school because you you just it just when do you find the time but but in the summer it's like that's when all the good movies that relate that you want to watch come out and 
for me, it was the nineties. It was, you know, Twister. It was, um, uh, I can't even think about it. Like there's so many, there's <laughs> Twister, there's uh, Jurassic, Lost World Jurassic Park. I didn't watch Terminator two in theaters, but like, that's something that I would, I watched in the summer because at my age, I wasn't, I was too young to go watch. But a lot of those summer movies, you would then re-rent during the summer at Blockbuster. Which, which exactly. It's just funny. It's like there's it's, there's a nostalgic part to it. Um, but it's, there's also like this, for me, the biggest block, like summer Blockbuster I'll always remember is 1995. And that was Batman Forever. And it was just the way it was marketed, the way it was like promoted. I will always remember that summer. It's like that first summer I like, it's ingrained in my mind. Everything else is like, you know, glimpses and you like, yeah, oh, yeah, I remember that. But like, I remember that summer and I remember how big Batman Forever is from the ads to McDonald's to like. I was about to say, it's it's everything that comes tied to it. It's those yeah. McDonald's toys. It's those toy commercials. It's it, it's such a grand thing that, you know, I think as adults, like obviously, like there's still those commercials for Happy Meal toys mm-hmm. and 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 just toys in general but i don't think you get that as much because no. it's also tied to a time where tv and cable was a lot bigger now everything mm-hmm. is being streamed so yeah you'll get ads on youtube and all that but it's not the same type of ads that you would get back in the day and even the blockbusters now like again i am a diehard mcu fan and you kind of look at the kind of the global worldwide um box office every year and you know a good chunk of that is always disney and it's always these franchise films which is great but you always kind of get happy when you see a movie pop in there that's not mm-hmm. uh, a giant franchise film because like damn like that movie snuck in there that movie kind of did its thing and it's it's trying to carve out its own path and i love i love seeing that uh like a movie like crazy rich asians did amazing a couple years ago at the box office. And mm-hmm. I'll always attribute the summer of 2018 tied to that movie as well. Like there'll always be that, that tie to it and watching it in theaters. And you know we've told this story on the show before Shay, but like during the wedding scene, that lady behind us who just broke out sobbing. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> like wailing, crying. Um, but block, like blockbuster films. That was just... also me. That wasn't a lady behind us. That was, just Oh, me. that was you. Eh? Why yeah. were you sitting behind me? That's weird. I don't know. I moved um, behind you so you can see me. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, it's a lot of this for me is tied like to growing up and even just renting movies at Blockbuster because it, I feel like every night or every other night, my dad and I would go and just walk around just to see what we could watch. And I I tie so much of my movie love to those times. And uh, a mo- like obviously we've seen uh, the, the biggest grosser worldwide ever right now is Avengers Endgame, which, you know, we had a discussion about in our um in our group chat this week about is this really a summer blockbuster? Because it opened up, I guess, a week earlier than normal. It opened up the last week of April, which to me, again, we don't really always tie with summer, but I the world of the summer blockbuster is getting so big now that they literally movies are now starting to open up in spots that we wouldn't see before, you know, we look at black Mm. Panther opening up in February where even five years earlier, if a movie like that was to be released, it would be in the summer because that's when people are going to the movies, you know, Well, we would see Um, movies die in like January and February, you know, what's coming out in that time period. It's like, 
oh my god, here we go. Because they'd save all the biggest films for summer. And that's the mm-hmm. thing. When it comes to movies back in you know the 90s, summer was the big spot because, again, that's where all the movies would come out. But nowadays, there are just so many movies. It's to the point now where even Star Wars had to kind of vacate the summer spot and go to December. And now we have Marvel that's just like, okay, well, we don't really need summer. We can just sprinkle these movies in kind of anywhere and we'll still yeah. get the same return that we kind of need to. So mm-hmm. it's almost like the summer blockbuster way of mentality is I think going to eventually go away and it'll just be a year long of blockbusters. I think so. If, I think that's the only way to fit them all in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like if you, if you look at the list, you know, from 1990 to, um, we'll say 2000 and, Seven, yeah. Know, a lot of these, a lot of the biggest movies to come out are during the summer. But then there's a there's a sudden shift where a lot of the movies are now coming out in December, and December has now taken over as like that big, you know, money month. Like uh, July used to be. July used to be that July Fourth was the biggest, you know, weekend because that was going to get get you the most money. People are on holidays. They go to the movie theaters to watch, you know, Armageddon, uh, Independence Day, and so on. But then things have drastically changed. Now you have movies coming out in February, you have movies coming out in uh, November and December. And even like for the summer period, August is used to be a big month, but now it's not anymore. Like there's no big movies coming out in August. It's literally May June and July, those are the biggest summer months. Now April, we include April in there. Yep. Our, our biggest summer months. Um, and the amount of movies that are coming out that are hitting high revenue is very little compared to what we were experiencing back in um, the early 2000s, where like 2000 and uh, let's say 2003, which had X-Men, X2, uh, X2, X-Men United, Daddy Daycare, Matrix Reloaded, Bruce Almighty, Finding Nemo, Bad Boys 2, Spy Kids 3D, Game Over, Italian Job, Too Fast, Too Furious, Hulk, Charlie's Angels, Full Throttle, Terminator 3, Rise of the Machines, Seabiscuit, American Wedding, Freaky Friday, and SWAT. All those movies became came out between May and May 2nd to August 8th, and they all made hundred over $100 million domestically. Jesus. Like every week do- there was a... <laughs> do you guys remember that? Like every week there was a new movie on top, and then the movie that was on top drastically dropped down that list because yeah, it would make like 80 million. And then the next week it would make 30 because the movie that was coming out that week is huge. And that was making 80 million. It's crazy, crazy, crazy. Do you guys have a favorite blockbuster year? I know Anthony, you mentioned 1995, but do you have a year that really stands out to you? I guess in this juggernaut list of, uh, blockbusters do you have a specific year that kind of really stands out in your memory well for me yeah 95 95 is my <laughs> my biggest year um also um the year it was in 96 yeah 96 with independence day no, no maybe 97 was it 97 <laughs> no. 99, <laughs> sorry, 1999 because Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. Got you. Oh, yeah, of course. Was a great huge. Year. Yeah, 99. for me, it, 
Yeah, for me, it's 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 definitely '96, and it's also one of my favorite blockbuster years. I think probably my number one favorite blockbuster year was 2004, and uh, it oh, was a summer. Yeah, it's a summer I spent in uh, in uh, Dubai and in Pakistan as a little kid, and I, I remember all these movies were coming out, like Spider Man Two, uh, Born Supremacy, Harry Potter. Day After Tomorrow, Shrek 2, these, and again, Van Helsing, my boy. So all these films are coming out, and I, and I had a chance to go uh, check them out on my vacation, and I, I absolutely loved each and every single one of these movies. And they're all bangers, even iRobot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's funny, too, because that was the first Harry Potter that opened up in the summer. Mm-hmm. Because Harry Potter, even to this day for me, is so tied to, like, winter mm-hmm. that you forget. that, Like, oh, yeah, Prisoner, like, a lot of them actually came out during the summer months because they kind of they shifted things around with lord of the rings and harry potter and all that mm-hmm. um yeah i think when you look at uh yeah 2004 was a banger 2005 i loved because obviously batman begins and i just have such a such a, a love for that movie and, and my dad taking me to go see that um and again 2008 for me uh you have like the one-two punch of iron man and then you have the dark knight coming up that year which i feel like those were the only movies that people really spoke about that summer um, were those two movies along with Wally and how bad uh, kingdom of the crystal skull was. <laughs> um, yeah. There's like, you, you look at these lists of movies and you're just like, these are just, it's man. like, these are mammoth films. And we, we kind of fast forward to today and it's like, maybe tenant will come out in August. Who knows? Like right. we're going to, we're, we're going to look back to this year and be like, this is the summer that wasn't. If tenant comes out in August, it would take over. Like it would make a lot of money if you know, the theaters were, were open were open and safe. It would make a lot of money. 100%. Yeah. I don't think America is getting back on track uh, by nope. August. No, I don't, I don't, I don't think so. Um, we look at last year and, you know, Disney, out of the top 10 grossing films of the year, um, Disney accounts for six of those films. Seven, if you include Spider-Man Far From Home, because it's tied so much to um, the Disney world. Actually, hold on a second. Let me recount this. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Eight of the films of last year, from the whole year, not just from the summer, mm-hmm. um, are tied to Disney. And it just kind of goes to show that you know they have their franchises firing on all cylinders right now. And these movies, like if you're not, with the way theaters are going right now, if you're not a major blockbuster film, you're getting released either to to streaming or to video on demand. I feel like, I think that's going to be the new norm because for smaller movies to be released, I don't think they're going to really find an audience as much in theaters, but then you have the surprises. Like if we go all the way back to 1990 with ghost ghost was the number one grossing uh, blockbuster that summer in, in 1990. And it shocked everybody, which is crazy to think ghost of all movies. Yeah. Bankable stars in the nineties were, were uh, Julia Roberts, uh, Mel Gibson, Will Smith, Kevin Costner. We put Robin Williams up there. Yeah. yeah, but like Julia Roberts was huge. Like her movies were making crazy amount of money, and they did not cost a lot. You got yeah, romantic shows. yeah, rom- those romantic comedies in the nineties, man. Like yeah, um, they pulled in bank. She made a lot of, and then you can see the shift changes because in two thousand. Um, you start hitting into like 
oh, we're going more franchise. X-Men starts to show up, the mummy, and then you got Shrek. So you're not banking on the star power. Now you're banking on the actual franchise to get you that money, which right. now you don't see, you know, blockbuster movie stars anymore. Like, who are they? Will Smith, who doesn't generate that much anymore. No. Well, he was the king. He was the king of July, but now oh he's yeah. nobody. I think the only one who's kind of only continued on that trend because of Mission Impossible now is yeah. Tom Cruise. Mm-hmm. Like Tom Cruise, like obviously as big as all the stars are now in, you know, the Avengers films and everything, like Tom Cruise is like a goddamn movie star. You know yeah. what I mean? It's like he's a movie you star. See, you know, like you see him and he's still even if it's not um, like regardless of what the the the, movie, the mummy movie he made, all his other films do pretty well at the box office still. So um, mm-hmm. he still kind of holds his spot. And Mission Impossible movies have only been getting better somehow. So mm-hmm. I'm just curious to see, obviously, where we're going to be a month from now. You know, we're six months into 2020. Sorry, where we're going to be a year from now. Um, what movies are going to are we going to be watching? Are there going to be more shifts and changes? and pushes and all that stuff. I just hope that next summer or even, you know, this winter blockbuster movie season coming up, we have some movies to watch. Yeah, I hope so too. I hope like, I don't know, maybe this might re, re you know, re reignite the summer blockbuster feel and make you excited for next summer because definitely this summer we are not getting anything. Um, I do not like watching movies in the cold. That is another reason why um, there's an you know a reason why I like watching films during the summer, <laughs> um, especially during you know January and February. You do not want to go to the theater at that time. Right, it's super cold. Um, and it's just it's something to do. It's like that pastime to do during the summer. Mm-hmm. Right. It's yeah, hot. it's for sure. You go to the theater and you watch this shoot them up explosion movie and and you enjoy it and you remember it and you know you go into the fall and that's when the scary movies should be coming out and then you head over right. to christmas which is like that some second summer blockbuster right now right um a lot of movies are so spread out summer blockbusters don't exist as they used to right but i hope maybe next year they will they'll come out because they have to they have to like release these films at one point right in time. It's um, it's funny though, because like you know, some of my favorite memories, like even just with you guys, are just us watching a movie, and then in the summertime, obviously, just standing in the parking lot outside our cars talking about it. Mm-hmm. I think you know, I remember us doing. We obviously we do that for so many movies, but I remember us talking about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood last year. Just I think for almost like over an hour, we were just standing oh, yeah. outside the the Cineplex parking lot, just kind of talking about it, and just like, yeah, we're going to talk about it on the podcast, but let's just have our immediate thoughts about it right now. And then and on the flip side, it, we have uh, after you and I left uh, Transformers the last night, where we needed a couple hours outside <laughs> to to just vent and just you know it's, completely it's a, exhaust ourselves. <laughs> Man, we'll have to watch that movie again one day. No. Maybe. I'll never forget that experience. Literally, Shay was in and out of sleeping. I was, I think, having just, uh, I was just on a journey. Like, that movie sent me to places that I've never been before. To be clear, I wasn't wasn't sleeping because I was tired. I was sleeping because I thought that that was better than having to sit through this. (laughs) Yeah. It was an experience, that movie. And, you know, mm. if you love Transformers The Last Night, right into the show. Tell us why. 
but that movie was a hell of an experience because (laughs) i just remember sitting outside the movie theater with you shane we were just kind of sitting there just like we need i can't even we can't even go into our cars yet because we need to we need to just get our minds straight yeah um um Looking ahead to next summer, you know, we have Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, which got pushed to May now. You know, we have Godzilla versus King Kong. We have Spiral. We have Cruella de Vil. Um, we have Jurassic World Dominion. We have In the Heights. We have another Pixar movie. We have Venom. We have Minions. The Forever Purge. Uh, Space Jam. Uncharted. Uh, we have that Chris Pratt movie, The Samora War. We have Jungle Cruise the suicide squad um we have a lot of films that are scheduled to be coming out next summer that sound like major franchises but who knows what the next year is going to bring let's mm-hmm. see we really don't know mhm any uh, final thoughts uh anthony or shay before we wrap up this blockbuster of an episode um not really like you know, this was one of my favorite topics that I've, I haven't had a chance to talk about because, you know, summer blockbusters mean so much to me. Um, and being able to kind of share that and like what I felt going to a movies during the summer, what would my, what was my favorite um, summer blockbusters were. Um, I was, I, I enjoyed today's episode. I really did. I really loved talking about the nostalgia of, of me kind of how I, lived in the nineties and how I felt like, man, these mom, this is, you know, when you're off school the summer, that's when you go watch these movies and exactly kind of brought back all these memories. And I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Summer, summer is a magical thing, man. Yeah, I know. I a hundred percent agree with you. I think this isn't the last time we'll be talking about a, uh, summer blockbuster, you know, theme because there's, I, think there's so much we didn't touch on i'm sure we'll talk about just a f- specific year kind of like how we did with the with the 90s episode was it was 90s you did yeah 99 yeah we did 1999 yeah, movie the 99 episode so very similar we'll be going back and it's crazy to think that the 2000s now are are really a part of history like old old history we're we're 20 years into the 2000s already we've lived most of our lives in the 2000s now so it's pretty nuts and i'm sure again there'll be more and more conversations considering that we didn't get a summer blockbuster year this year uh we hope that this episode for our fans really kind of filled that void (laughs) (laughs) or made you miss it even more i hope this kind of inspires our audience to go watch and relive those summer moments and maybe they can like write into us and express how they felt watching those movies yeah like what were your favorite blockbusters growing up as a kid Mm-hmm. Yeah, tell us your favorite blockbusters. Tell us a favorite year of movies. And right into the show, this time with dot com. Oh yeah, Chase. Uh, sh- before we wrap up and go to trivia, tell us some of your uh, tell us some of the write-ins that we got to the this week. So some some of the write-ins I got, um, they're not actually summer blockbusters at all. So I I, I don't know if the, my people that were writing in knew what they were t- saying, but um, <laughs> you know Matt Rohrbach though from the Untitled Movie Podcast did throw in Jurassic Park. So you know huge shout out to him because a grand yes Jurassic Park. Love it. Love that film. Um, I got uh, the Lizzie McGuire movie. I guess that came out in the summertime. Did it not? Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure if it was a blockbuster, but uh, it sure 
sure was a great It was film. a blockbuster in our hearts, for sure. It was a blockbuster, and that came from Victoria. And then I had Kara write in saying uh, High School Musical 2. That was only on the Disney Channel. So, again, not too sure about that. Um, <laughs> it was a big movie that year, though. That it summer. was. It was. Uh, Brandon wrote in saying Jurassic Park. Yes, I'm that old. You're not old. You're not an old, Brandon. Jurassic Park's a great film. Uh, we also got Lion King. Uh, Lion King, I did, I do believe, came out during the uh, the summertime season. But he also yep. wrote in Toy Story, and Toy Story did not, unless he was is referring to Toy Story three. So right, yeah. <laughs> uh, we also had um, Nicole Roden as well too friend of the show Nicole who has been on our show and written in many times uh, she said Wonder Woman The Dark Knight and Bridesmaids so all mm. phenomenal choices yeah Bridesmaids Blockbuster Summer Blockbuster for sure and of course if you have a specific year you want us to talk about in movies or a specific blockbuster film you love us to d- discuss write into this time with dot com slash talk or you know follow any of us on our social feeds that are in the show notes. You could follow us on Instagram, Twitter, wherever you want to follow us. Um, I have a trivia question that, of course, is tied to blockbuster films. Um, so, Anthony and Shay, are you ready to answer this one? Yes. I'm ready. All righty. So, the trivia question for this week. What was the nickname of Steven- that Steven Spielberg gave the animatronic shark on the set of Jaws. So as you said earlier in the show, Jaws is widely considered to be the first blockbuster film. And I'm asking you guys, what is the nickname Steven Spielberg gave the animatronic shark on the sets? And I'm going to give you four choices. Not three. Not three. Give you four. Is it Larry? Is it Amber? Is it Bruce? Or is it George? Again, those options are Larry, Amber, to- Bruce, or George. They all sound the same. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go with Bruce. Yeah, I'm going to go with Bruce because I knew this question. Yeah, because of the, the reference to Finding Nemo, I think, pretty much. Bruce. Both of you guys are correct. So Bruce yeah. is the name of the the nickname Spiel, Steven Spielberg gave the shark on the set, and it was actually named after his lawyer. He gave him that nickname. Bruce the shark. And then we and then we saw Bruce, Bruce of course, in uh, Finding Nemo. So good stuff. You all get a point this week. Yay. And of course, <laughs> this was the movie podcast. We have a brand new episode every single Monday across all your favorite podcast services. If you want to write in and be part of the show, this time with.com slash talk, you could send us your comments, suggestions, corrections. Um, I was so happy that we got to come back and do a topic of the show this week. It feels like it's been a little while since we've had one. Next week, we will be talking about our favorite Comic-Con announcements of all time. So don't worry. Check out our socials so you could write in and let us know your favorite Comic-Con moments throughout history. Uh, That was this time with the movie podcast. And we'll see you next. Thank <laughs> you.